Content warning. Racism, Nazism, and bad fascist history. Suicide, depression, slavery, rape. Action! Excitement! Horror! Romance! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. twilight ages of man's history, remembered and unremembered, in the brute recesses of the mind, whence dwells still the shadow of the primitive, echoes a name of legend, a warrior, a mercenary, a barbarian, refugee from a savage land come to a decaying ancient kingdom that was old before the first strokes of our history were set to paper, raised up by his own hand to rule an empire. He is... Call. <laughs> Sorry, were you expecting someone else? Hi there. Welcome to uh, What Mad Universe, the podcast about uh, the elder days of sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, in, especially in the pulps. Uh, I am Adam Prosser, and with me, as always, is Philip Rice. Hello. Hello. Um, and today, uh, what we were going to take a look at, specifically, was the character of Cull, the Exile of Atlantis, uh, a character created by Robert E. Howard who is, of course, the same uh, guy who created uh, Conan the Barbarian and uh, um, uh, Solomon Cain uh, in the 1920s. Um, Cull is kind of an interesting character, though, uh, because he's actually, uh, he predates Conan, and uh, in many ways he is the uh, ancestor of Conan. Uh, but I find him, uh, in many ways, a more interesting character than Conan as well. Um so uh, I, you know, I this I'm I kind of uh, steered the debate this week uh, because uh, I was uh, a fan of uh, Howard's stuff, uh, and I have a collection of his stuff, um, and I gave it to Phil. But um, so Phil, you've never actually really read the Conan stories, right? No, no. Um, I read one Solomon Kane and found it a little racist. And... Oh, it's extremely yes. racist. There's no getting around the yes. Solomon Kane stories. Um, that's I another mean, it way. Was, in... It was well written, but I just, uh, at the time I wasn't really into it because of the, right. I mean, I'm used to racism oh. from 19th century books, but, uh, right, right. uh, it was still, it was a little more than I was expecting at that particular moment in time. And it, yeah. it just sort of overwhelmed me a bit. Um, yeah. I have read. That's, a, a, that's another way in which the Cole stories are better than the Conan and Solomon Kane stories. Is that there's not really any racism in them in their in the way that there there is in those other stories. Sorry, yeah, he has a um a com his best friend is uh, dark skinned. Right, he's a picked, but picked. it seems to be different from the historical picks. Yeah. in some ways. Yeah, 
But um, yeah, anyway, so yeah, it's it's uh, and for what it's worth, well, I mean, I'm sure we'll do a show about Solomon Kane someday. But um, the, the for what it's worth, Solomon Kane stories do uh, do get less racist, <laughs> marginally less racist as they go on. The first one is really just appallingly over the yes. top in terms of racism. Uh, they become slightly less. <laughs> they became more noble savage stuff as it goes mm-hmm. on. Anyway, which uh, isn't much. I mean, it's, it's a not much better, better but it's yeah. a little. It's it's less painfully bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I I will say I I am a fan of Lovecraft despite his being a horrible human being, and that's mostly where I know Howard from. Right, as part of the Lovecraft circle, and uh, as uh, um, I, I I've the only places I've really read his work beyond um, Solomon Kane was in the occasional Lovecraft mythos collection right well he uh, wrote a few cthulhu mythos so-called stories yeah there were a few of them who hung out uh, or didn't hang out i guess they corresponded with uh, Mm h.p lovecraft to clark jackson smith uh tevis clive tevis i think his name was uh there were a few of them anyway but the robert block was uh was a younger one right robert block who went on he was the author of psycho the book uh, later on and wrote some Star Trek episodes eventually, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of fun. But um, the uh, but the Cull stories and actually the Conan stories as well and some of the other stuff Howard writ, wrote uh, is what's called um, antediluvian fantasy. It's um, It was something that was sort of all the rage around that time. I think it kind of got started around the late 19th century, but uh, it had really uh, become a, a huge uh, fashion in the pulps by the uh, the. the interwar uh, period uh, in the 1920s and 30s, um, which is basically, well, f- just to define terms here, you got secondary world fantasy, uh, which is the idea of a world that is complete. there's fantasy set in our world, and there's fantasy set in a world which, you know, is cra- created with its own, you know, lands and people and, and rules, essentially, uh, as we all know. Um, and uh, antediluvian fantasy uh, I, is the idea of fantasy that um, took place in a historical period before uh, recorded history, essentially. Um, which uh, is, antediluvian, by the way, means literally means before the flood. Before the flood, yes, exactly. And and it's it's kind of based on uh, ideas that scientists had briefly in the 19th century. Uh, for instance, the idea of the continent of Lemuria, which is the basis for my comic, Lemuria, hmm. um, which uh, is... Uh, you know, it was based on the idea that they noticed lemurs appeared. Uh, they believed lemurs were linked to different species throughout uh, the world. So they said, oh, well, there must have been a continent called Lemuria that the lemurs came from originally. Uh, so that became the basis of, uh, yeah, and oh, there's a lost kingdom. There's a lost continent. And of course, uh, Plato uh, wrote about Atlantis. You know more about that, right, Phil? Uh, uh, yeah, it's... Um, uh... As far as we can tell, he made it up. I mean, it, it doesn't predate any, any. Right. There's it no. It doesn't predate Plato at all. Uh, right. As far as we can tell, uh, he claims it came from an Egyptian pharaoh, but uh, right. Um, that's probably just a framing story for his. Oh yeah. 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 Plato. It's, was, it's a metaphor, basically. Yeah, yeah. Plato was writing fiction. I think there was. They they sort of think there might have been some like an island that like a volcanic eruption somewhere in the Mediterranean at some point, mm-hmm. uh, which might have inspired that kind of legend. Uh, yeah. Which would but have the been... whole thing about the you know the concentric circles of water and the uh, right you know the the giant landmass with a great kingdom who fought with Athens. Right. It's all. In fact, uh, even some ancient Greek writers um, made fun of that story. Uh, right. Theopompus wrote a 
we only have a fragment of it, but he called it Meropis. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was uh, so large, it made the continents of Afro-Eurasia look like small islands. <laughs> um, and uh, it was populated by giants. And uh, they invaded Hyperborea instead mm-hmm. of Athens. And uh, that's, where, that's where they lost. And uh, all this was communicated by a centaur. <laughs> Right to yeah. uh, print to King Midas. Right, and that was all kind of a parody. Of yeah, Plato, exactly. Right? It's yeah. like taking everything to the next extreme level. Right, right. So yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a common sort of idea going as like as we say as far back as the ancient Greeks. Uh, just that there was a kingdom, you know, or a land that existed uh, and is lost and is submerged. Uh, in many ways, and and that does tend to pop up all throughout the uh, the world. Even the like uh, the Chinese uh, talk about. Um, oh shoot, I'm going to forget his name. Uh, Baron Lao, I think. Anyway, one of the great ancestors of the Chinese dynasties was a guy who helped uh, stave a flood that supposedly swept through China in like the the time before time, sort of. So it's a really ancient sort of legend. Yeah, and there's, as... um, the, uh, in uh, South American and Central American mythology, there's Aztlan, which is where they, which is where the uh, Mesoamerican people came from, supposedly. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that one. Okay, yeah. It, it's a common, it, especially when you look at, yeah, the Middle East especially, and it seems quite likely, especially when you look at the Tigris and Euphrates, they probably flooded a lot. Uh, the Nile famously flooded very regularly, uh, and still does, as far as I know. But all through the world, there's there's sort of these flood legends of, oh yeah, there was a great civilization. Uh, I know that a lot of uh, pre-Columbian civilizations, uh, both in South and North America, have legends of, uh, oh, there was the first world and the second world and the third world, and they would get destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe the Mayans had it that there had been a world that was destroyed by jaguars. Uh, oh, and I then didn't know come that. Back. Yeah, and then they, they, yeah, they were on like the fifth world, I think. The, one, the, the jaguar first, apocalypse. There was a jaguar apocalypse. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Um, so it was definitely a common uh, thing throughout mankind. Uh, so um, the Robert E. Howard stories um, are are set on, uh, you know, um, at a kingdom that he made up called Volusia on the continent of Thuria. And in his time frame, uh, Cull, who's actually an Atlantean, um, but Atlantis is actually a very primitive land at this point, and it's this, the Thurians, the Volusians, uh, and the Seven Empires, as he calls them, which are this ancient, decaying uh, kingdom that's that older than time. And uh, this is a time when even Atlantis hasn't risen to prominence. prominence. And Lemuria is, is mentioned, but it's very primitive as well. Um, so it just shows you, like, this is meant to be just beyond... Uh, beyond uh, the scope of, of uh, recorded history and, and way back into an imaginary past. Uh, so that was a common setting. There were a few, uh, there were a few people that Howard was uh, yeah, uh, that, inspired by. Sorry, that's what I found really interesting about it. Um, it, it sort of reminded me of, uh, if you've seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they have uh, the idea that uh, the Earth is far older than science says it is. Yeah. I, I like the idea of... Uh, of a uh, old earth that had all these cultures and things that popped up and mm-hmm. and collapsed before we even have recorded history. Right. And, and the idea of this cyclical uh rise and fall of empires sort of reflecting real history in some way but uh exaggerating it into a distant past. Yeah. Well, what's actually interesting is um uh Robert E Howard um, he was a pulp writer, of course, in the in the uh, his I think his first uh, story was sold around 1924, uh, and it was a story called Spear and Fang, and it was actually um, 
a, a story about cavemen, and that was actually a popular uh, pulp uh, basis. Um, yeah, 1924 it was written. Uh, it, it was actually the po a popular basis for pulp uh, fantasy and not not necessarily fantasy even they claim to be historical stories mm. uh but set in the time of you know the the savage time of cave people uh I, i've been able to find evidence that it went back <laughs> as far as the 19th century and oddly enough it was um you know uh, your favorite uh metro the 19th century french uh, science sci-fi sci writers uh, who wrote a story called Paris Before Man in the 1860s, uh, which is literally, you know, a caveman story. It's about the primitive uh, mm -hmm. peoples. And then there's a guy called Andrew Lang who came along later, and he apparently wrote some caveman fiction. So believe it or not, caveman fiction was pretty popular, uh, not even necessarily with a fantastical element, just uh, stories of savage tribesmen surviving. Uh, that was one of the uh, staples of the pulp. And the, the antediluvian fantasy kind of married it to... Uh, married that to something with, you know, b uh, something with more uh, civilizations and more, uh, more, you know, kingdoms and, and things like that. It's and also it, supernatural elements. Yeah, and then you bring in the supernatural stuff. It's 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 kind of the idea of, um, uh, you know, what if a caveman was you know, set loose in a China shop, <laughs> set loose in a China shop that is civilization. Uh, that was kind of the appeal, and it's also tied in with. Um, some of the ideas that, again, scientists were having at that time, which are more or less accurate, uh, that there had been uh, certain waves of uh, people like um, there was definitely a group of people that swept across uh, Asia uh, and uh, into Europe uh, around probably about 5,000 years ago. Um, yeah, correct. I, I apologize if I'm getting some of the facts wrong. I'm not a historian. Uh, but I believe there was a group they were known as, they became known, I think it's because they had the chariot. So they were really kicking ass you know, in term technologically throughout, uh, throughout Eurasia. And, uh, they were known as the Hyksos in Europe or in uh, Egypt. Uh, I think they were the, like the Ionians or the Pelasgians in Greece. Uh, like they branched off into all these different tribes. And then in, uh, India, they were known as the Vedic Aryans. And of course the name Aryan is the thing that got seized on as, oh yeah, these were the great superior people. And unfortunately that led to, uh, some crack pottery that led to, some really bad stuff in yeah, Europe, unfortunately. Uh, that was kind of the stuff Hitler seized on, even though he was talking about Aryans who were literally Indian, Central Asian people. So I'm not sure how he got so uh, fixated on the idea that they were Germans, but that was his thing. Um, but, it, but certainly we do know that there was uh, some kind of technological revolution about 5,000 years ago. Um, and this is kind of the thing that was inspiring um, uh, uh, Robert E. Howard when he wrote these stories. Um, so like I say, and, and like I say, the first story he ever published was this caveman story. Uh, apparently he wrote some stories about someone named Amra, uh, who I don't, um, <laughs> I don't know much about. It looks like he didn't get those published. Uh, and again, it was sort of... Um, um, Wasn't um, Amra featured in the uh, first Call story? Uh, yes, that's right. Amra, yeah. yeah. So Call is, Amra's kind of a, a uh, he was... The way it, I've heard it, it, it's written about in some of the books, is that Amra was the uh, focus of the story, and then Cull kind of came in as a supporting character and took over. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was the story that was eventually known as Exile of Atlantis, which is very much a caveman story, but it kind of gets a fantastical sheen to it because it's set in Atlantis. Yeah. Uh, and then Cull kind of uh, ran off, and he, he literally says, I want to go off and become a king. And then next time we meet him, he's the king of an ancient kingdom called Volusia. Um, uh, and, yeah, he's um, 
He's exiled from Atlantis for saving, for granting a quick death to someone who's going to be tortured to death. Right. Yeah, that's right. And the, that first story is um, they're they're sacrificing. So it a woman. sort of starts with uh, with a bit of compassion from from our lead character, which isn't right. really what you expect from these barbarian characters. Well, you know, then that's something we can talk about. Yeah. I think some of the the whole idea that it's all this uh, Nietzschean chest thumping is not always one hundred percent accurate, um, but um, it is true that. Um, you could metaphorically see it as uh, Cull sort of leaving the barbarian uh, caveman era behind and literally murdering someone and leaving it behind and going to uh, going off to a new genre, sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, it's interesting because then after Cull, uh, he wrote Conan. And in fact, one of the Cull stories was rewritten. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, they were rewritten to be the first Conan story. Um, and so you, there's almost a progression uh, of uh, Robert E. Howard's sto- characters where they were, you know, he, he has one character who sort of evolves and then leaps forward thousands of years and becomes a new time setting until eventually he's dealing with the historical Yeah, Conan characters. takes place after uh, Atlantis after, sinks, right? So that's right, quite a several, bit later. Yeah, quite a bit later. The Cull stories are set, uh, te- I believe, technically they're supposed to be uh, 100,000 years before our time. And the Conan stories are supposed to be set something like 15,000 years before our okay. time. So quite a bit later. And it, it is often implied that they're sort of uh, reincarnations of each other as they go down the years. Uh, or at the very least ancestors of each other. Um, because it's very clear that Conan is definitely uh, of Atlantean descent. And um, of course you got Bran McMorn and there's even a Cull story where Bran McMorn and Cull yeah. cross over and he literally says, I call up the spirit of one of my ancient ancestors. Uh, and Cull. I believe it was, um, wasn't he, uh, uh, wasn't Brule his ancestor? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. It's actually Brule, not, uh, not, um, Cull. Well, not Cull. Although the Bran McMorn story, basically he does say one of my ancestors, if I'm not mistaken, and Cull comes forward or he said, anyway, he says one of our ancient Kings yeah, of our tribe. Yeah. Come forward. I think it explicitly said Brule was the ancestor of his tribe. So. Right, right. But but anyway, but they call on Cull as like their ancient ancestor yeah. or their ancient tribal uh, guardian. Um, so that's kind of, uh, you know, anyway, there's there's clearly a link down the ages between the different characters. And it's almost yeah. like he, he, as his writing evolved, he literally jumped thousands of years and the characters evolved and they started as cavemen and ended up yeah. as historical. So there's kind of an interesting, uh, there's kind of an interesting progression in that sense. Um, <coughs> and even Conan evolved, um, uh, as a character over the years because he was one of his most popular characters. So he stuck with Conan, but Conan evolves a bit from how he first is created. Um, anyway, um, <clears throat> But uh, so that's kind of an interesting uh, progression that he wrote about in his in his stories. Um, in my humble opinion, um, obviously Cull gave way to Conan uh, because by this Axi rule, the Cull story was rewritten as uh, the Phoenix on the Sword, which is the first Conan story. Uh, in my personal opinion, uh, the Cull stories are superior to the Conan stories uh, because Conan is dime store Nietzsche. Uh, a, libertar- a libertarian fantasy in which anything, even the supernatural, can be defeated with steel, thews, and iron will. Uh, okay, maybe I'm oversimplifying a bit. Although the uh, though that's the main message of most of Howard's uh, imitators seem to have taken from the Conan story. Uh, just that sort of chest-thumping idea. And uh, the movie actually starts with a Nietzsche quote. So that, Exactly, yes. Well, we'll talk about the movie in a minute. Yeah. Both the Conan movie and the Cull movie in a minute. But uh, yeah, it's it's the people who uh, latched on to Howard... Um, in the 1960s, um, 
definitely seem to have been really taken with the wild, uh, free spirit of, oh, I just do whatever I want and I'm such a badass, I can, I can get away with whatever I want, which is interestingly not the real theme of the Cull stories. Um, Cull is more nuanced and layered. Uh, he appears... He appeals less to the male id, uh, which probably explained why he had trouble getting published compared to Conan. Uh, both Conan and Kull become kings, but many of Conan's adventures are set in his wild days as a reaver and an outlaw. Uh, we never get the story of how Kull rose to the throne of Elusia. It's only referenced in passing in a few stories and uh, described as relatively easy. Um, the Kull stories are far more about the challenges of keeping power, uh, something that can't always be accomplished without with a sword through the belly. Um, sure, there's a bit of the chest-thumping machismo of the Conan stories, particularly the ending of By the Saxi Rule, uh, but whereas Conan is about the strength of brute simplicity over the corrupting influence of civilization, uh, Cull is more reflective when confronted by the staggering antiquity of his newly claimed kingdom. Consider this passage from the Shadow Kingdom. You are young, said the palaces and the temples and the shrines, but we are old. The world was wild with youth when we were reared. You and your tribe shall pass, but we are invincible, indestructible. We towered above a strange world ere Atlantis and Lemuria rose from the sea. We shall still reign when the green waters sigh for many a restless fathom above the spires of Lemuria and the hills of Atlantis, and when the isles of the western men are the mountains of a strange land. How many kings have we watched ride down these streets before Cull of Atlantis was even a dream in the mind of Ka, bird of creation? Ride on, Cull of Atlantis. Greater shall follow you. Greater came before you. They are dust. They are forgotten. We stand. We know. We are. Ride. Ride on, Cull of Atlantis. Cull the king. Cull the fool. Cull's thinking, Ho, awake, Volusia. It is Cull that rides. Cull the king. We have known many kings, said the silent halls of Volusia. So, you see, like, he's not just going in for the same kind of stuff that he goes in for later with Conan. Uh, Cull is changed by his experiences in a ruler in a way Conan isn't. Uh, he's aware of his own mortality and the sweep of history. He fights against it. But in the end, whatever greatness he brings to Volusia is long gone. Even, his, even the name is lost to our present era. So there's a bit more fatalism and, and uh, bleakness to the Cull stories than the Conan stories. Yeah, they're a lot more introspective than, than I was expecting, really, going in. Um, I should mention, uh, this is, well, I, I've already mentioned, but Robert E. Howard is kind of a blind spot in terms of pulp for me. Right. Um, so, uh, and I've, I've always been meaning to get to them, but I was going to start with Conan, but I'm glad I started with Cull because it's, yeah, it seems more interesting in some ways. Yeah. I mean, the Conan stories are also interesting. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. And again, we'll, well, I'm, I'm sure we'll do a story about Con uh, a, a, an episode about Conan down the line. Um, it, it is, um. It's interesting to read about Robert E. Howard and what his thoughts and views were. He seems like he was very willing to write what he thought the audience wanted. Um, even Conan had these implications early on of being a more layered character, a bit more flawed. Uh, and it seems like his editors basically... Uh, Farnsworth Wright was the editor of, I believe, Weird Tales yeah. or uh, at the time. And he was very much uh, shaping uh, Howard's stuff. And Howard was like, I'll, I'll write what I need to write to be successful. Um, and uh, so he basically said, um, uh, you know, oh, t he take out that bit. That's too, you know, nuanced. I just want a, her a hero who, you know, kicks ass and kills some monsters and has sex with some chicks, basically. Uh, that seems to have been the, uh, the way uh, Farnsworth Wright uh, encouraged him to write. And it sounds like Howard basically said, 
you know, okay, I'll, I'll go in that direction. Which is not to say that he didn't have his own individualist uh, ideas, but he did say, I remember him complaining later about Conan. Uh, he felt Conan was getting to be too much of a bastard, basically. Uh, so it's not necessarily his own viewpoints uh, so much as him kind of, appealing to his audience to a certain degree. Uh, but, the, but it's hard to say where the line is because it's also very personal stories in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the Nietzschean thing is, is very big in his mind, uh, Robert E. Howard. <laughs> um, but he also, yeah, obviously he doesn't, the, the Conan stories tend to, the, the cliche of the Conan stories is that, uh, oh, civilization is bad and Conan is good. He'll come in and sort everything out by hacking everything into pieces and all those uh, corrupt uh, nobles will cower in his wake and he'll conquer everything through his sheer force of will. And even the Conan stories aren't really like that, uh, but that's the cliche that we've had of There's the Conan stories. There's a little bit of that in the Call stories, oh, I yeah. noticed. Like, uh, uh, early on it says, or in one of them, it says he wasn't yet civilized enough to be cruel or something along those lines. That's right, yeah. he's he's He does have, he definitely plants the idea of your, uh, you know, Barbarian barbarians are better in many ways than civilized people yeah. because he said you have to be polite to a barbarian because otherwise you might get an axe through your skull. Hmm. Uh, that was another quote from somewhere else. I think that's in one of the Conan stories. Um, but yeah, so but he doesn't portray civilization as like completely irredeemably awful in the Cole stories either, no. which uh, which is something that the the, the Conan imitators tended to take uh, but, from, uh what i found interesting is call is sort of an extra barbarian because he's from atlantis but he's also was a feral child in atlantis right yeah and he was his own um i can't remember what if they ever explained this but uh his his tribe was lost or something and he was right. raised by another tribe yeah there's actually and they found him in the woods just living among the animals right yeah it, it that's a weird that's another thing howard and it 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 plays into Conan to a slight degree too, because Conan's uh, from Samaria and, but he never talks about why he left Samaria. He sort of hints that there was some kind of tragedy that drove him out of his, uh, his, uh, his, uh, land, but they never get into it. Uh, so in many ways that's kind of ported over from Cull. Uh, he, he literally says, Cull goes, oh yeah, I was a hairless ape roaming around with no, no lang, no words, uh, yeah. or, or, or sanity or anything. Um, so he, it's almost a mystery of his origin too, which no, they never delve into. He doesn't delve into because he, he never really, they're only, by the way, only three Kull stories were published. Um, the Shadow Kingdom, uh, the Mirrors of Tuzun Thun, and, um, the Kings of the Night, which is the crossover with Bran McMorn. And I believe Exile of Atlantis was published, but it's arguably not a Kull story. Um, so most of the Kull stories that we have were published decades later when there was a, a boom of Robert E. Howard, basically, uh, as with a lot of the Conan stories and the Solomon Kane stories and everything else. Um, <clears throat> so uh, you can see why he kind of left Cole behind and moved on to Conan because it, he was having trouble getting it published, basically. Yeah, um, in the uh, in the afterward, it had a lot of um, uh, lines from Howard, you know, writing to his friends and whatnot, and he seemed very frustrated by. Yeah, the lack of sales he was getting on his stories yeah. at that time. So we should we should mention, of course. Uh, I don't know if you know this. He did end up committing suicide. Yeah, pretty hard uh, in the 1930s after his mom uh, passed on. Um, so unfortunately, he had he he may have had some issues, uh, un, un, unresolved mental issues. Uh, people have tended to say, and that may actually show up in some of the stories that he wrote. There's actually implications that Conan suffers from 
basically depression, mm-hmm. um, which is, again, a very interesting aspect of the character that Farnsworth Wright wanted to downplay and cut out uh, because it's, uh, you know, it's uh, it's kind of a, a downer, I guess. <laughs> and that's, and that's I guess, why they didn't like the cult stories as much because they're a bit more... I mean, they're 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 still heroic by by today's standards. You wouldn't say they were downers, but there's more of a sort of stop, think who you are, where are you, where where are you going, what's what's the sweep of history? Whereas Conan is just fucking inviting, basically. <laughs> I'm familiar with uh, Farnsworth Wright from uh, he was also Lovecraft's editor on right. Weird Tales, um, and uh, Lovecraft and another writer whose name I can't remember offhand, but uh, they wrote a they co-wrote a story set on Venus mm-hmm. uh, that featured a bunch of animals that were named after uh, uh, various people in the in the um, pulp world. Uh, and one of them was uh, the Farnoth flies, <laughs> where these annoying buzzing things was named after Farnsworth Wright. There's also uh, uh, wriggling creatures and moss and whatnot, and they were all named after editors and uh, famous (laughs) fans and so forth okay so venus was just a you know horrible slimy swamp area okay so far so they found farnsworth to be annoying farnsworth right to be annoying is what you're saying it would seem so yes (laughs) that's kind of funny um yeah i I, uh he was he was definitely uh but you know they they had to make money off the pulp so it was very uh very straightforward to that um but going back a bit to uh, the whole uh, idea of antediluvian fantasy and where it comes from, um, it does tend to derive from uh, from I mentioned the scientific ideas that they had, and again, it was it was fairly more or less legitimate science at the time. But they abandoned the hypotheses fairly quickly. But um, crackpots kind of cracked onto yes. them, um, and there was a, a particular lady named Blavatsky, and uh, maybe you'd like to, I, to 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 talk about that a bit. Uh, well. Um, I hate Blavatsky. I, I'm just gonna say this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've done a bunch of research into uh, into occult beliefs and whatnot. I find Blavatsky almost incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. Um, I found uh, I, I was very excited to find uh, an audiobook of one of her books. I believe it was the uh, um, I can't remember which one, but uh, it was. I discovered it was uh, five days long, literally like five straight days through. Hmm. without sleep um (laughs) and i listened to about i was i tried to listen to it i listened to about two hours of it and i didn't understand any of it because she doesn't make any sense yeah Um, i think that's actually part of the point of those sort of charlatans yeah they tended to ramble and use a lot of buzzwords and yeah there was a lot of uh appropriation from uh uh indian culture right uh that that would be india um a lot of uh, Hindu ideas and Buddhist ideas mm-hmm. sort of meshed together, and obviously she didn't understand a lot of it, and obviously she was making up a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, yeah, she, like you said, she was a total charlatan, but uh, she did, um, she was very influential. Mm-hmm. She was hugely influential on the spiritualism movement of the time, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there. When was she? She was eighteen, late eighteen. Yeah, yeah. I believe the the book in question uh, was written in uh, eighteen eighty eight, so mm-hmm. late eighteen hundreds. Right, and then yeah, so that kind of and and it's Robert E. Howard. You read some of his letters, and he's like, yeah, I, I don't really believe this stuff, but it's good yeah. for writing uh, fantasy and and sci fi. Basically, yeah, yeah. I I feel the same way about a lot of this stuff. Uh, in my own writing, I I often crib mm-hmm. from things that I don't believe in, but. 
it's interesting. Yeah. Well, he, and, she because she talked about like ancient kingdoms and well, uh, yes, and yes, lost lands. Uh, Lemuria and Atlantis were particularly like she helped popularize those things mm-hmm. um, as real things that supposedly existed. Right. Because Atlantis wasn't believed in literally for until the mm-hmm. Victorian era, really. Right. Uh, there was a book called. Um, uh, oh, it has a very long title, but it popularized the idea that Atlantis was a real place. It was it was supposedly a scientific historical work, though it had a lot of flaws. Mm-hmm. But the Theosophists, which Levatsky was the head of, was sort of one of the leaders of mm-hmm. um, Theosophy, they sort of picked up on it, and uh, they really ran with it. And they came up with this idea of root races, or right. sort of ancestors of of mankind mm-hmm. not in the the darwinian sort of evolutionary sense but like they started off as purely spiritual beings mm-hmm. and then helped along by venusians and you know that yeah. sort of nonsense <laughs> venusians yeah um i read one book called uh, uh of atlantis and lost lemuria mm-hmm. by a theosophist uh and uh they talk about the lemurians as 10 foot tall ape-like beings with black skin and a third eye on the back of their head mm. It also gets really racist by saying the closest living relatives are the Aborigines of Africa of uh, of uh, Australia. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, what are you doing, dude? Of course, yeah. No, it's it's. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It was it, they were they were clearly you know they they knew they could uh, you know entrance people with kind of uh, mystic sounding stuff, which yeah. seems to have been uh, huge at the time. But yeah, they they had uh, root races and. Lemuria was supposedly the birthplace of humanity. Right. Um, and uh, then they moved to Atlantis and then yeah. off into the other areas. I think I think one of the things that might have inspired this a little, like the reason that people might have been more accepting of that was there was, uh, around that time, I believe, uh, there was the German guy whose name I can't remember, uh, who was an archaeologist, and he basically said, I'm going to find the ruins of Troy. And everyone said, what, what are you talking about? Troy is a fantasy. It was a, it was a mythological place. It didn't actually exist. And then he did actually find uh, ruins that corresponded roughly to probably what was actually the ancient Troy um, in, in Turkey. And uh, so people suddenly were maybe a little more accepting that yeah. the mythology was real, basically, um, even though that was based on actual, you know, careful study and research and stuff at the time. And he acknowledged, like, of course, it's been mythologized over the years, but I, there probably was a real place called Troy. Uh, well, like they always say, they laughed at Einstein, but they also laughed yeah. at uh, yeah. Bozo the Clown or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, just because just because people are laughing at you doesn't mean you're wrong necessarily. Um, there's another aspect of sort of the weird uh, occultist mystic mindset that uh, ties into Cull, which is the uh, the fact that in his most fam- one of his most famous stories, The Shadow Kingdom, and one of the only ones that was published, uh, he fights snake people yes. who are the hidden uh, hidden uh, uh, puppet masters of uh, the the kingdom, basically. Uh, yes. Uh, so this is an idea he seemed to have uh, been inspired by Blavatsky directly. There's uh, one mention of uh, Lemuria being ruled by dragon people, though it might be a metaphor. They might not be literal lizard people. Mm-hmm. They might just be humans who... But supposedly Lemuria sank because they were using so much dark magic and uh, so forth. So this is probably where he got it from. But it... From uh, the Shadow Kingdom... Uh, it got picked up into uh, mainstream uh, conspiracy theory circles right. uh, almost immediately uh, by um, uh, other authors who just sort of wrote the same thing but taking it seriously. Right. Um, and uh, eventually that led to David Icke uh, 
really like blowing it up in terms of popularity right he's a well-known conspiracy theorist if you don't know mm-hmm. and there's this um massive uh monomyth sort of explaining the history of the world by uh us being controlled by uh shape-shifting lizard people right <laughs> who uh feed off our misery and yeah. come from another dimension and all these other weird things yeah um and uh, it might have originated from Cull, so yeah, thanks, Cull. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, that's uh, that is something that uh, that that seems to have been. Do you, do you know? Um, so, like, do you know how it's tied to David Icke specifically? Do, like, has he said that, or like, did he said he read a uh, one of the uh, yeah yeah one of the um, early writers uh, whose name I can't remember. It was in my notes that I forgot to bring. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. Sorry, um, we'll edit it in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But in the 40s, uh, wrote uh, uh, about uh, supposed tablets that were found that discussed the history of the snake people. Right. And uh, David Icke, it was one of his primary inspirations for writing the uh, his books about lizard people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, David I... Icke has an interesting um, uh, way of dealing with sort of mixing popular culture and uh, mm-hmm. real mythology and fake mythology and... Um, sort of urban folklore mm-hmm. uh, say the lizard people are also very similar to the aliens from v or uh right. the movie they live it's pretty much just they live yeah but yeah yeah mixed yeah. with some anti-semitism right um yeah v uh, the the miniseries v was definitely inspired by david Icke. i know that no no it's the other way around it predated david Icke talking about this oh stuff. really yeah but then there were people who ike was being inspired by yeah yeah exactly but ike uh it predates ike uh I came out with this stuff in the 90s. Right. So he was going off of a century of history, but it wasn't that popular till he took hold of it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's always interesting. And I mean, that's always something that's interesting to me, how pop culture gets weirdly inspired. And I mean, even to a certain degree, real, uh, real ideas can come out of like pulp sci-fi in some yes, weird ways. Yes, the, um, um, it's said that the uh, Barney and Betty Hill were the first sort of abductees of by aliens, supposedly. Right. Yeah. By gray aliens, anyway. Mm-hmm. The modern gray aliens. Right. When they first described them, they had big noses like Jimmy Durante. Okay. That was directly described in slicked black hair. Yeah. Um, and then um, an episode of The Outer Limits came on with sort of gray, well, it's black yeah. and white, but sort of similar big-headed aliens. Right. And uh, after that, a hypnosis session revealed that that's what the aliens look right, like. Right. So that's where the greys come from. Yeah. Uh, initially. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it, well, it even also... the flying saucers were pulp stories from the. Th- I was reading about that in the 30s and 40s. Yeah. Which kind of um... get got watered, and people kept translating it, and it became more. And of course, the fiction writers would say, "Oh, this is a real uh, account that I found yes. in a bottle somewhere, or whatever." And and that slowly got translated. Well, into there's somebody... also the Shaver mystery, which I'm sure we'll get into some point because it was a real conspiracy theory that somebody believed, but it was published in pulp magazines. Right. And that's the. Uh, that yeah. also helped inspire the flying saucer thing, though. That was, they came from underground in that case. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's it's all. Yeah, it was it was a guy who managed to get his the use the pulps to get his ideas out. Basically, yeah, yeah I, I, that's that's exactly the one I'm talking about. And then you can even you know I I always like the idea that uh, actually uh, one of the big things that inspired uh, Lenin, a couple of things <laughs> inspired Lenin were science fiction novels as well. Um, you know, he, he'd read novels about the utopian society, and they they may have inspired him a lot. So there's always a weird uh, uh, um, crossover. This is a little bit aside, but did yeah. did you know that um, 
apparently Lord of the Rings was rewritten in uh, the Soviet Union with the sci-fi edge to it. I did not. Okay, I, I haven't looked into that, but that would be something to look at, I think, in the future. <laughs> sure. Uh, apparently, the fantasy thing was a bit too far for them. Right, yeah. So they, they censored it with... Uh, yeah, the Soviet Union didn't like uh, pure fantasy, yeah. uh, generally, unless it was explicitly for kids. Um, so they... Yeah, I know that was a that was a thing. Anyway, that's getting a little off topic, yeah. but that's something Sorry to talk about. Sorry about No, that's fine. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it is very interesting how uh, you get this, uh, this, this weird influence of uh, pop culture and and even just other philosophical ideas coming out of pulp uh, novels um you want to talk about the movie oh <laughs> the uh, how about uh, a few of the stories first okay uh the mirrors of tuzan thun yes uh that was a i i that was the second one uh sort of in the or in the, the third i guess in it was the, the second one he but... it was, yeah it was the third one he wrote yeah uh, not well, the third one if we're including uh exile atlantis which again was not Sort of not a cult story, but yeah. introduces him, yeah. and then he kind of takes over. Um, but uh, it was it takes place uh, sort of uh, calls a bit older in this one, mm-hmm. so it's sort of a, a sequel to most of the other stories in the collection. Right, uh, he's in his forties or something, mm-hmm. and uh, he's getting melancholy and depressed, and so he's he goes to a uh, a, a wizard, or he, he's told to go to a wizard, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, there's this house full of uh, magic mirrors, mm-hmm. and he gets sort of almost literally lost in one of them. Mm-hmm. And it's this very uh, sort of indicative or, or representative of this idea of Call uh, as the, I think the back of the book describes him as the thinking man's barbarian. Right, yeah. Well, it's, um, yeah, the, it's, it's sort very of... very philosophical in some ways. Like, is this, and, and the Shadow Kingdom has it as well. Like, he's put off in his tracks by seeing one of the lizard people have shape-shifted mm-hmm. shape-shifted into him and he says mm-hmm. that can't be me i'm me right exactly yeah no it's it's he especially the early call stories are very much about um you know what identity ha- a, a guy identity and and just the idea of well i was just a guy who went around killing for a living and now i'm in this new situation and i'm suddenly in a position where i'm thinking all the time and i don't like mm-hmm. it <laughs> kind yes. of is the attitude um and and if thinking is still kind of a trap because like to, in the twos and thunes story yeah. he had almost he almost gets defeated by crossing over into a mirror and getting sucked into a uh, possibly having his soul stolen, or possibly, as he says, maybe that would have taken him into another wonderful place uh, yeah. beyond. He doesn't really know. Um, so it's actually not 100% clear if Tuzan Thun was evil or if he was trying to help him. Uh, but the implication that, you know, everyone goes, oh, we killed that evil sorcerer. But they kind of, you know, the, the implication you're supposed to take is, well, what if he was trying to help me? And that yeah. was what happened, you know. Um, and but- this is chronology. Chronologically, one of the later call right. stories. That, so yeah, basically it's interesting the last one, that yeah. yeah, well, he goes off into he sort of marches into an area unknown in one story, and mm-hmm. that sort of ends there. Right. Uh, yeah, and 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 uh, but yeah, that that is definitely the theme of like what happens when you stop killing and doing stuff and being a man of action and start thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then there's the talking cat later on. Yeah, uh, yeah, I. <laughs> I was that was a weird story. <laughs> I like um, while we were when we when I gave it to Phil and when he was reading it, he tweeted a picture of the movie A Talking Cat while he was while we were he was it's reading a that terrible story. movie with uh yeah. with uh um oh what's his face? Uh Julia Roberts' brother, what's his Eric name? Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts, thank yeah. you. Yeah. As voicing a 
uh, a talking cat who can only talk to everybody once. Yeah. It's it's an awful movie. Uh, and he sounds like he's going from a closet. Speaking of awful movies, we were going to discuss the Call movie. Yes, so the Call movie. Yeah, so there well let, we can we should actually again, uh, we keep talking about Conan, but it's hard not to talk about Conan because he's related to Cole because the Conan the Barbarian movie uh from the early 80s by John Milius with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Conan. Uh the thing is, once you've read the Call stories, you realize that's really more of an adaptation of Cole than it is the Conan yes, the Barbarian. Yes. It has it has the villain from the from the uh, yeah. Talking Cat story, Thulsa Doom. Uh, yeah, Thulsa exactly. Doom, yeah. uh, who actually has a skull face in the original story, but in in the movie was played by uh, uh, James Earl Jones as a snake themed villain. Right. Once again, the snake people sort yeah. of yeah. Yeah. tying in there. The snake, yeah, the snake people come from Cull. Uh, the fact that Cull's backstory is him being a slave who eventually escapes and, and like, although he doesn't really escape in the movie, <laughs> but um, yeah, Set that's, free, yeah. Conan is not a slave in the stories. Uh, Cull was a slave and it sort of ties into him being he never quite goes as far as to ban slavery, unfortunately, in his in his kingdom. But you can see he's kind of ambivalent about slavery once he becomes king because he doesn't like that. And then there's also the fact that uh, what what was the other uh, tie into Cull? Thulsa Doom, yeah, that that as you said, Thulsa Doom being the villain. He's a Cull villain. He's not a Conan villain. Conan's yeah. uh, biggest villain is uh, Thoth Amon. So I'm, I have no idea why he didn't just use Thoth Amon and made it Thulsa Doom instead. I guess he just liked the name or something. Yeah, I mean, it has Doom in it. It has, it has Doom in the title. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it's really weird. And then so they did this Cull uh, movie in the 90s, which ironically I, I, I'm told was planned as a Conan uh, movie. Yeah. Um, because, of course, Conan's destiny is to become that's what a king. I, that's what I hear, but it, it did integrate a lot of the Cull storylines. Yeah. Interestingly, it's not a good movie. In no. fact, it's a terrible movie. <laughs> it's a terrible um, movie. Um, it, it well, starred Kevin Sorbo, by the way, TV's Hercules. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or one of TV's Hercules. And to say, disappointed! <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, who's not good in the role. I no. mean, he's usually a charismatic guy, but he's just casted wrong for this part. No. Because he's, because Call is not a wisecracker. He's no. not... He look. I mean, Kevin Sorbo looks the part. He's a big, muscular, tall guy with long hair. But right. Um, yeah, he's sort of this snarky. Right. Uh, and he's he's a womanizer in the movie, like Conan mm-hmm. was in the movie. Yeah. And Cull's not like that. He doesn't have no. any love interests in the stories. No, he he's he he. They explicitly say he had no interest in women. Mm-hmm. Uh, given that he has no interest in women, and he hangs out with this other dude all the time, you have yeah, to wonder about Cull sometimes. Basically, I, I'm sure. If, he's much I'm cl- sure if Cull were published today, there'd be lots of yeah, uh, Cull Brule shipping. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because they're they're very close friends and right. And, uh, but yeah, no, they, 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 they were taking Cull, I mean, Kevin Torbo was popular on Hercules, so they cl- yeah. clearly just wanted to transplant that over into a, a movie where he's kind of a wisecracking yeah. guy. Um, and th- it had, it starts off with rock music. Yeah. There's a lot of heavy metal. Which is really out of place <laughs> in this, cause, uh, I mean, the Conan movie has, uh, lush orchestral score and mm-hmm. this has, you know. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And flames coming out at the beginning, right. and it's very metal. Yeah, and Tia but it, Carrera. it doesn't fit with anything. Yeah, and Tia Carrera turns into a into a demon. So it is a very heavy metal cover uh, type of movie. Yeah, um, I I did feel like the writer was trying to integrate some of the interesting themes of uh, of Cull uh, in the uh, in the in the movie. Like, I think it's one of these things where the writer maybe had 
was trying for something and then the director kind of yeah. muffed it up. But I, I feel that, yeah, um, it, it didn't, it was sort of an adaptation of By This Axe I Rule. Sort of. Sort of. Well, it, that's a it very ends sim- with that. That's a very simple story. And uh, By This Axe I Rule, it, I should just mention, uh, as a cull story, it's kind of the archetypal cull story because it's him. He's presented with a dilemma. In this case, it's just a, a girl who wants to marry a, a, a boy who. Uh, but she's, that happens a lot, by the way. Right, yeah, it happens at least twice in the stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in this case, it's she's it's, she's a slave, uh, and he's a, a nobleman, and they want to get married, and a, the the law says you can't do that. And Cull is kind of like, and his advisors basically say, no, 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 yeah, you can't. Even though yeah, you're the king, law's written on these ancient tablets, right? And I mean, and and they have a point. It's like the king can't just come in and do whatever he wants, and the the law is what makes you the king. Uh, so it ends, and then there's an assassination attempt, and Cull basically bursts out and as he's lie as the people who tried to kill him are lying dead at his feet he basically does i'm fine this is why i rule by this axe i'm gonna yeah, change smashes, the law he smashes the tablets with yeah. his axe and i actually i think that's only in the movie that oh he okay the i don't I, think he does sorry. it in the story yeah mandela effect yeah exactly well it's a no it's a good image in the yeah. movie and then he basically says look we're gonna make the we're gonna do we're gonna keep the laws that are just and we're gonna throw out the old laws that don't have any purpose anymore and if anyone has a problem with that this is what I'm gonna <laughs> this is how I rule I have this axe you can come and take the throne yourself if you don't like it yeah uh, which is it's funny to me because you can interpret it as basically be reasonable <laughs> <laughs> or I will soak the streets with the blood of my enemies you know I kind of like that <laughs> that that's yeah. the conclusion I like the image of him using the axe as a scepter which he says he'll do yeah exactly. So uh, I imagine all the other stories, he's just carrying around the axe on the throne. Yeah, exactly. That becomes a symbol of his rule, which is kind of cool. And yeah, that's, so the movie ends with that, and it is, yeah. it's, it's just such a the good movie. The movie has a thing about axes representing barbarians, because mm-hmm. Cull's not actually good with a sword for some reason. Right. Or not that good, because he mm-hmm. keeps losing uh, to, <laughs> the, right. to one of the villains. Like, yeah. it starts off with him losing a fight, which mm-hmm. is... An interesting way to go with your barbarian action movie. Yeah, but. it is. He's, he, literally, the first fight is him losing, and he, he, you don't, and he, and not in a way that like makes him cool. It's just like, oh, that guy lost a fight. Yeah, <laughs> like, and he just sort of stumbles into being king. He right. just sort of happens to be there, and uh-huh. um, I mean, he he kills the king, I guess. But uh, right. well, I liked it because the he he comes into the throne room. The king's basically making noise that nobody likes. He's being the mad king from Game of Thrones. Right. He comes up. Conan Conan or Cull kills him, and then the king, as he's lying dying, he goes, "Well, the throne should go to the guy who killed me, Cull." And he basically <laughs> does it because he knows that's gonna fuck everyone over. Basically, yeah. it's it's his revenge on everyone. Basically, is to yeah. declare. Cull but you to get be- the feeling in the books like Cull like wanted this like yeah he yeah. wanted to like it was his goal from leaving from the time of leaving atlantis to yeah. uh to the time he took the throne and he didn't have any idea what to do afterwards right exactly but uh and that was sort of what the stories are about mm-hmm. uh but uh this was something he actually you know spent a long time ach- uh, working to achieve and in the right. movie he just sort of stumbles into it <laughs> yeah well they want to get it out of the way fast is yes. the thing in the movie basically but you're right it's he does talk about how he says it, it happened with relative ease in the books but it was clearly a a plot and a like he yeah. was a mercenary which is in the movie i guess but he's a mercenary and then he uh rises to the uh to the top and they basically decide a bunch of them say yeah call should be king and they overthrow the king and he says he, it happened pretty easily because he's such a 
kick-ass soldier and man yeah. of action. But yeah, as you say, and that is another thing that, of course, Game of Thrones picked up on the idea of once you've won the throne, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what to do with it, basically. Um, um, there's something you mentioned uh, when you were live-tweeting the movie. Um, he It does deal with the issue of consent with slavery, yeah. which is not what you would expect from this movie, because yeah. he tries to sleep with one of his slaves, and uh-huh. she points out yeah. that... Um, if she doesn't fight him, she's like, I'm a slave, I gotta do what you say, but understand that I don't like you and you're just using your uh, prerogative as a king, you know, and that kind of makes him go, oh, dude, you're right, which is funny because he was already a slave, so you shouldn't understand yeah, this already, yes. but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting that they put that in there because there's always the fantasy of these kind of uh, fantasy stories where, oh, willing slave girls will do my bidding. And yeah. it's like, they're, yeah, they're often they're very. These movies are often very rapey, and I, yeah. I wasn't expecting this particular movie to avoid that. <laughs> yeah, but it did. So yeah, exactly. Kudos, I suppose. Yeah, kudos. Bare minimum. There is, yeah. There's enough in there that makes you kind of go, "This would be good if they did a real cull movie." But again, we've essentially had two cull movies, and one of them was the Conan the Barbarian movie. Yeah. So I'm not sure there's any need for another cull movie, unfortunately. But yeah, uh, it did use Valka instead of uh, instead of Krom as the god that they worship because. Because uh, Kull worships Valka. Right. And, of course, Conan famously worships Krom. Right. Um, I mean, what they are is essentially the same thing. But, right, right. Uh, they did use a lot of uh, names and references to the Kull stories. So, like you said, the writer seemed to right. know his or her stuff. Yeah. I assume his, but... Yeah. No, it's, it, it is... Uh, yeah, it's definitely... I At least the first half hour or something had some you know, clever stuff in the script that made me go, okay, the writer's trying at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, generally speaking, oh, it's and, a very uh, late Tia 90s. Oh, and Tia Carrere is the, uh, yeah, the, is the queen of Acheron, which yeah. is from the Conan stories, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that's I looked right. it up, and yeah, it's apparently a, an ancient kingdom in the Conan stories, so... Yeah. So we get a we get a cull we get a cull movie that uses a lot of the Conan stuff, and we get a Conan movie that uses a lot of the cull stuff. Basically. Yeah, um, so. yeah, and no snake people. They they had a bit of mm-hmm. hinting at because some of the evil priests had snake garb, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, there's a snake. If yeah, you're going to adapt a cull story, I'd go with the the Hidden Kingdom because it's the it's in my opinion the best one. I agree, but again, I feel like they they felt like. Conan already covered that, so they didn't mm-hmm. want to like that. I think yeah, that but was the, the idea of a, of a conspiracy within the kingdom and all that yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah it. Is, I I agree. Um, it's one of these things. As with Spider Man, they've never quite done the Gwen Stacy story right, but they've done so many bits of it that it's hard to that they would go back to the beginning and redo it at this yeah. point. Uh, so it's the same thing with Cull. Unfortunately, he's uh, they've covered a lot of the the territory that would make him interesting. Uh, but there you go. I, you... I feel the same way about the uh, the John Carter or the yeah John Carter movie. Yeah, exactly. Because um, yeah. those ideas have been copied so many times since the books came out right. that the movie doesn't seem that. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's uh, the fate of pulp, unfortunately. Like I say, these things being around for centuries and then they get integrated into all these other things. The uh, the sort of middle third of Return of the Jedi does a lot of the John Carter stuff better than John Carter and so on. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, so I think we're uh, probably, unless you had something else you wanted to talk about, I think we're uh, uh, probably reaching the end here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we should... Uh... Uh, next episode we'll be covering uh, one of my selections <laughs> uh, 
Vampire City or uh, La Ville Vampire by Paul Vival. Yeah. Uh, forgive my French, I don't speak it, so <laughs> this is an English translation. Yes. This is a very obscure vampire novel from around uh, 1875, yeah. so predating Dracula by quite a bit, mm-hmm. and it's the weirdest vampire novel I have ever read, and that's saying something. Yes, yeah, so you get to see how weird vampires were before Dracula locked yes. them into the popular imagination. So uh, but we'll, but that'll be uh, coming up next time. Uh, so in the meantime, we want to say goodbye. Thank you for all of us at What Mad Universe. I'm Adam, and this is Phil, Phil Price. Hello. Hello. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Our engineer uh, and sound guy is uh, Alex Ross. Thank you, Alex. Uh, the music is by Jack Fierick, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.